ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching. Fashion trends. Pep talks where we give advice. Mental health moments. And games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, everything school HQ, also here down there in Tequila, Georgia, my good friend, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. It is uh, it is good to be back talking ball with you. Uh, get to break, have some breaking news this week, but uh, but yeah. Nice to see the George Bulldog victory in basketball. So everything's cool. You know, I got to give the people the updates. I mean, that's nice. But like Tennessee's out here, national title favorites right now. Like you're looking at this top 20 offense, top say, three. Georgia defense. was non-existent in basketball. And now it's like they're having some fun. The Steg was rocking on, yes. on Wednesday night uh, with that last second win over LSU. It was big time. Was like Kirby 14, there? I think was Kirby there or something. Now I think. Wait, What's what? Just there. I think Kirby was there. Wasn't Kirby there? And really, oh yeah, Kirby's always sitting courtside. Kirby's, Kirby's the man. He's he's Mister UGA for sure. I think I heard it was like the, how much this dude loves University of Georgia is just is just unmeasured. Basically, <laughs> like I heard there's like a softball recruit or multiple other recruits use Kirby smart to like close deals and, uh, and, and pitch recruits. It's, it's insane, but, but I like but, yeah. that, man. I like, I like when Tony Vitello is at Tennessee basketball games. I like when Hypel is at Tennessee baseball games. Hypel was at the Tennessee basketball game against Alabama on Saturday. Uh, but I like when, and Kelly Harper is at baseball too. Like I, I just like, the university continuity that's really cool when they're just in supporting each other like on uh on the just on the sidelines and everything else it's just kind of i think i like that kind of continuity that uh has a really tight-knit feel to it so i like that uh mike white and kirby smart and company and uh georgia's has that is starting to get more of that continuity yeah and you don't have to be an alumni of to yeah. be a college a coach of a college team but it, i think that's why it just feels different like when you do have an alumni, because like, like, yeah, this guy loves the university uh, in all ways. Like Jim Harbaugh, obviously, he, he didn't love it enough to uh, to stay there and not jump to the NFL. But he's like he was a Michigan guy, you know, through and through. So um, it's it, it is a little bit different when you got an alumni as the head coach. Also, I want to uh, like whatever fact check from last podcast, because I was spreading rumors on here and about the Caleb Downs thing. Like there's rumors mm. about whatever someone asked uh, rusty Mansell on the, on the message board. If the rumors of him, like trying to enroll and having complications of that, if that was any truth to that. And rusty Mansell said, hell no. 
So that did not happen. Ohio State just probably threw a bag or what, however they got him, but they got they got Caleb Downs last minute. So I don't want to be spreading rumors that were that were false. So I got I got to clear that up for the people. There you go. Um, I'm not plugged in, so I don't know. But either way, it, uh, it will be interesting to see what happens there. But good luck to Caleb in uh, Columbus. And uh, I think George basically will just... take Rusty Mansell's word as gospel. Well, in, Rusty's in the these man. parts. Friend of the program, Rusty Mansell. Uh, loved having him on, uh, I guess, last month now. But no, Rusty's fantastic uh, at what he does covering the dogs. Um, but Matt Green, Nigel the Nighthawk, has two University of North Georgia alums. We love getting updates from Nigel, dropping off some news before we get into our big theme of today's episode, which is the top programs. Uh, this is your idea here uh, in terms of this midweek show. Uh, the top programs in college football right now because there's been some pushback to where Alabama sits now post Nick Saban so we thought that would be a good uh, discussion uh, point of discussion here on uh, these offseason shows so before we get into that though uh, you mentioned Jim Harbaugh uh, in Michigan a little bit Jim Harbaugh officially official uh, where he did play pro ball for a little bit um, when they were in San Diego I think like a season or two maybe just one season um, in uh, San Diego but uh Jim Harbaugh makes the move to coach. Well, they're not in San Diego anymore. They're still the Chargers, though. It's the same franchise. <laughs> they just move up a little bit. So um, familiar with the ownership because the ownership's been the same. So he does go back with the oh, Spanish family and all that. So uh, there was some continuity on that front. Obviously, a lot of success um, in San Diego, Stanford, that whole area, San Diego State. Um, but yeah, um, Matt Green, what do you make of Jim Harbaugh leaving the University of Michigan to go to the NFL. I've seen a lot made of of it as this is like an indictment on college football that that this is this is a microcosm of oh look the workload uh, of a head coach in the NFL is just the work life balance is so much better the the guys they don't know the rules of who's in charge what what the sport's going to look like one year to the next in college there's all these different obstacles of having to recruit your your uh the prospects and also recruit your own roster uh, constantly so i think all of those challenges are there but i don't think jim harbaugh specifically is a reflection on that in any way i think i think this guy for one i mean let's be honest he he's cheating like he, he tried to get it in his contract supposedly that if he was going to renegotiate or resign with michigan that it wouldn't uh if he get, if he was breaking any NCAA laws, he he wouldn't be any lose any money or however it was uh, stipulated. Um, but I mean, so he did do that. So there's a chance he's kind of getting his Pete Carroll on and like dipping like before any of the consequences come. But it's also like John Harbaugh is one of the best coaches in the NFL. He's got a Super Bowl ring. Jim Harbaugh's had success everywhere he's been, including the NFL for that brief stint and. He, that's the last thing eluding him really is a Super Bowl ring. So I think he's a guy that's an NFL. If you can coach in the NFL, it seems like you that's everyone's preference, right? Like most people's preference. I don't know if it's Kirby's preference. I don't even know if it's Heupel's preference. I think I think it just depends. It's a case by case basis uh, for a lot of guys. And I think it, to what you're saying about Harbaugh in general, 
And uh, what people are trying to correlate with Harbaugh's jump to Nick Saban's uh, retirement and like that they're all um, they're all connected to the workload and just the the work life imbalance uh, currently plaguing uh, the sport at the collegiate level. I think the two aren't related. I think it's just it's always a case by case basis and you have to uh, uh, not fall for that uh, reflexive uh opinion of just like oh clearly there's something wrong uh on this on this front and that this is something that they have to uh that has to be addressed and that's what this means for um for the school and for uh jim harbaugh when in actuality what this might just mean is like jim harbaugh won a title like maybe jim harbaugh's back if he doesn't win uh, and loses to bama or he loses the national title game in close fashion to washington we don't really know what ultimately would have happened uh, to uh, Jim Harbaugh this offseason had things gone differently. What we know is Jim Harbaugh is an elite football coach. We know that Jim Harbaugh has a lot of experience and a lot of success at the NFL level. He didn't win a Super Bowl to this point. He still has unfinished business there. He doesn't have unfinished business anymore at the collegiate level. He loves the University of Michigan. He said that he sees himself as a Michigan man. Hey, guess what? He did everything for the university that he possibly could. He has them in a great situation. He's not leaving them high and dry. Look, good for him. And the last thing to check off his bucket list is winning a Super Bowl. It's clear that that's what this guy wanted. And I just I think when you point to just the looming cloud of the NCAA or whatever, I just don't think it was that. I think it was just more of like, I got my ring for the my alma mater. Now I want to close my coaching career with a ring in the NFL. Like, I think he really wants to get both and just kind of have that, you know, I think that's just Jim Harbaugh. So I think you just have to be careful when you're like, Oh, clearly this is related to X. And I'm like, uh, let's look at this person individually. Like, cause I think every coach is wired differently. And I think some are more built for it than you would think. Some people love the grind. Some people can't escape it. Some people want to jump right back in. Some people want the NFL balance. So it just I just think it just depends on person to person. So I just I always push back against that of like, oh, well, they would every college coach would jump to the NFL if they could. And I'm like, I don't think that's actually true. No, I think that's fair. And I I, I was out there for a second, so I didn't I didn't hear the start of uh of your of your argument. But I um I, I don't know that the NCAA aspect didn't play a zero part you know i mean i think that that there's a chance that that could they could kind of taint his whole legacy if 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 you know whatever their sanctions come down on michigan but i mean and depends on how serious his legacy gonna... i mean he won a title like i just i don't think it taints his legacy i mean if it, the title is like revoked or something or but no the however... ncaa because you gotta remember too like how people view the ncaa now like the ncaa has a very very low approval rating with college football fans i don't think anyone's gonna look at michigan's national title ever and be like oh frauds i don't think that's how yeah. anyone will ever see it they're gonna see it as like michigan was the best team from start to finish and harbaugh was you the know leader. what you know what harbaugh's michigan tenure feels like it feels like lebron's second cleveland uh era mm. it was like he he was this close to win a super bowl you know he was a good nfl coach he had it but his his alma mater was going through rough times. It was like, no, I'm the one that's got to go in there and save Michigan. I need to bring Michigan back to prominence. He's done that. Won a national championship. He's like, okay, now I can go back to being an NFL coach. Now that I've restored old glory, uh, the alma mater. So 
Um, but yeah, he's been a good NFL coach already, and now he's going to a uh, a team that's got a franchise quarterback, and it feels like that's half the battle. Um, you know, the situation you go to is always so important. So uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure the Chargers are going to be good with Harbaugh. I think so. I would not bet against Jim Harbaugh in the year of 2024 or in any year. And hey, it's a great situation too. I think he's got the highest winning percentage of active NFL coaches right now. That's wild. Like you count him as an NFL coach. Yeah. So, I mean, we're definitely counting him as an NFL coach. He's an NFL yeah, coach. He is an NFL coach now. He's also got Jacob or Jacob Eason. He's also got, uh, uh, why am I, uh, Justin, Justin Herbert, Herbert as his, uh, friend, new franchise quarterback. And I'm sure that was a big part of it too, is he gets a all pro cannon arm, just a franchise quarterback that he does not have to figure out the hardest part uh, when you take I over. Think an I think I team. saw someone. Well, why would he go to the Chargers instead of the Falcons? It's like, it's like Justin Herbert. Really? And also I think the Justin weather. Herbert, that's that's 100 percent the reason right there. Yeah. Um, there was some other news. Uh, Keishon Butte, a uh, lot of a lot of stuff uh, rolling in on this front uh, all afternoon this evening. Uh, the former LSU wide receiver, a lot of memes, people getting jokes off this, that, and the other, but man, it's just sad uh, is my uh, reasoning or my, uh, my takeaway from this, I guess, is that like you're reading through this and like the amount of bets allegedly and this and the other where you're like, what is happening? Like you saw, like we just kind of pushed past uh, what happened with multiple, I think was it Iowa or Iowa state players who were dismissed I, state, I think yeah and it's just like a commonplace i guess that it's just it's gonna these stories are just gonna pop up every now and then and you just hope it's not gonna keep popping up but this is kind of scary for the sport and like how do you and my other thing is like how do you police this like how do you know uh what every athlete's doing at their phone how do you know um how do you responsibly have these conversations with them and how do you um i don't know educate and make sure that uh, it's all understood all across the board that like, hey, you can't do this. And this is not something that uh, you should partake in. And um, I, I, I don't know, like, I just I do worry about what the future might hold here because of how no matter how vigilant you are in your program to work to prevent this, like, I don't know how you can be um, how you can ever feel great about it, uh, running a program that you're in the clear on this regard, right? I mean, it's just difficult because I mean, I'm someone who doesn't who doesn't mind sports gambling, right? Like, yeah. And even I, at, at times, I'm watching games, watching ESPN, and, and he seeing these over under. Oh, is he going to have sixty four and a half yards in this game? Like, is he going to have one and a half touchdowns over under? It's like it's kind of gotten out of control of how mainstream all the betting stuff is, and just to. To exclude the players like 100% from it, it seems kind of re unrealistic. Like, it, it feels like, you know, how how alcohol and drinking, all these bars are everywhere, all on the in the, all these college towns. And then when these college kids are drinking, they're like, oh, what are they doing? What, why are they, why are they at bars? Why are they getting drunk? It's like, cause this is the entire culture that's been set up. So mm. I just, I look at, and I obviously don't have the details of every, bet that Keishon Butte placed but I mean if he's betting on his team if he's betting on his yards going over betting on his catches going over like do we care like if he can make an extra like ten thousand dollars because he is performing well like I we don't obviously it's difficult to police this 
And if guys are betting against their team and, and taking the under and, and making, you know, obvious mistakes when they're on the on the field and, and blowing games, there's something sp- suspicious happening. We clearly have the ability to look at past activity, I guess, if we can figure out whose account it is. I don't, I don't think he hid the account name uh, very well from what I saw earlier. Um, so I don't know. I just it's such a difficult thing to place like uh, to police, I should say. Like Calvin Ridley is betting on other NFL games and maybe his own team while he's not playing football. So he's not impacting this this spread or anything negatively in any way. And he gets suspended by the NFL for an entire year. Like, you know, maybe it's in the contract and he knows he's not allowed to do it. And that's why he's getting punished that way. But I don't know. It just it feels it feels like uncontrollable just to be policing these DraftKings and FanDuel and these in these betting websites while it's such a mainstream thing in the entire culture. And I just don't see a way around it. Like we're here. Like this is just part of it now. And I just don't know how you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, right? And if you can do it, it's just like anything. If you can do it responsibly and everything else, I see no problem with it. But there is a, da- a slippery slope when it comes to athletes and when it comes to sports and when it comes to um how fans see the sport so if this becomes like if you're an lsu fan what are you feeling like today where you're like what in the world like what like what was happening over the last two years and um how much did that change games and stuff like that that's where you get into very very rocky waters when fans start to wonder what's going on and do you lose fans because they it gets a little murky like that's obviously a doomsday situation but this is why it's so like you have to be so vigilant and be on this early and often um, educate as much as you can um, and really drill into everybody, not just players, but coaches and uh, ministry, like just how serious this shit, this is. And like, Hey, there's just different rules for different people. Like it's different than the 22 year old uh, Sigma Chi at LSU yeah. betting on LSU football games versus a football player. Like it's just, it is like, that's, you know what I mean? Like you are in a different spot. You can't, do, unfortunately you can't do this do, thing. Do you care personally about what? Do, do you care about players gambling on their team to succeed? Like if they're always yeah. betting on yeah, I, I, themselves, do you actually care? Yeah. Like I, it's not a great look, but I don't feel like I actually care if, if, if it's an over under on you to get 85 yards and you're trying to get more than 85 yards, like, well, that's yeah. You're trying to do your job as, as a, as a player on the team. Like you're trying to like, can you, can you selfishly try to score a touchdown? I guess if a quarterback's got like over under rushing touchdown total and, and they give it to him on the goal line, he changes the play and something. I don't know. Well, that's what I'm but, saying. It leads to other things. I'm not saying at an incentive for an athlete is like there's NFL incentives everywhere for you to get a certain number. Like Jadavian Clowney was celebrating when he realized he hit his sack number, right? Where he got an additional amount of money, I think, a few weeks back. And it's like they have like because you're human, you have in the back of your head. You're like, if I hit this number, then I get X amount of money. Like it's not that. Now, if it was like, again, this is maybe the future of college football where you have a contracts and maybe there are incentives. I don't know. This is way down the line. But like incentive base where it's like if you get to x number of yards or x number of blank then you get this x amount of nil like you know what i mean like there's just bonuses based on how you perform that particular year at lsu or old miss or whatever and that's how you maybe curb this a little bit when there are and 
other incentives and this, that, and the other. It's not the wild, wild west out there in college football right now. So I don't know. It's not going to get solved today. It's not going to get solved tomorrow. And I also don't think uh, uh, Boutte is going to be the last player um, in the not distant future with this happening. If he bet a hundred thousand dollars instead of like six hundred thousand dollars or whatever it was, he had fifty. If he made fifty grand on there, they, no one probably would have noticed. I think he. I think he. It was said he was doing it. The math came out to what it was like, like thirty bets a day or something like that. Like for uh, for a year or something, six months. It was a. Uh, it was pretty wild. Yeah. Um. Well. Uh, SEC, ACC, excuse me, schedule reveal, Matt Green. You wanted to touch on this, which is really niche uh, to talk about the ACC schedule reveal because it was A, complicated, and B, the funniest part was NC State getting dragged because they're... Did you see their graphic for how they released? Oh, my this? God. That's what, the what worst thing that? I've ever seen in my life. That was That hilarious. was tough. And it's got to be brutal, though, when you're, uh, you work at, uh, in these gigs and you spend a lot of time on this and you just put it out... And then the immediate flood of responses you are overwhelmed with. What is this? And just all kinds of memes like what? And like the the Jimmy Butler one was the best where they photoshopped the NC State uh, reveal onto the piece of paper with Jimmy. And he's like squinting, trying to see what it is, because it's just great. Like there was some really, really uh, funny jokes getting it off. But that was uh, that was wild. The the choices that were made there. Yeah, it's just all we needed was a vertical list uh, of the <laughs> games. That's that's literally all we needed. Um, but yeah, they uh, they dared to be different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, the ACC schedule. The reason I thought this was interesting because um, I love a good grid. You know, the seeing that mm-hmm. grid schedule always gets me excited for the football season. But um, is because I think the schedule reveal is what kind of decided who was in the ACC championship last season, mm. like. Everyone looked at the schedule immediately and saw Louisville's schedule, and they're like, "Okay, Louisville is—they're a dark horse to to make the ACC championship." And I'm not actually sure after watching the entire season that they were one of the top two teams in the ACC, but they had that favorable schedule. And there's one team that stuck out for me when I look at this ACC schedule, and it's Syracuse. They got there in a first-year head coach with Fran Brown, but there's no Clemson, there's no Florida State. There's no Notre Dame, and you get Miami at home at the end of the season. No, I don't think they play Louisville either. So hmm. you look at Syracuse's schedule; like they've been really active in the portal. I'm I'm not going to say Syracuse is a is a quick rebuild by any means, but the schedule is like half the battle when it when it comes to win uh, being in an ACC championship. I feel like right now, and you look at Florida State with. You know, they do play uh, Miami. They do play Notre Dame. They do play Clemson. They they have uh, Georgia Tech in Ireland. Like, maybe that's, a, maybe that's a tricky game. Who knows? But I think, I think Florida State's a program that's kind of in transition. So I think, obviously, they have, like, Florida at a conference, but that's not going to count towards their uh, conference record. But, but, yeah, I think Syracuse is a, is a pretty big winner, and they just became, like, a dark horse in the ACC, <clears throat> in the ACC this year. Yeah, and we'll see. They have a 27-year-old offensive coordinator, Jeff Nixon, Fran Brown, uh, tap for this one. So um, he was the running backs coach for the Giants this year, has a history at Baylor and Temple, um, where I, I guess it was Fran at Temple with him. Were they at Temple together? Was Fran the Temple guy, I recall? 
Was Fran Brown? I, I can't remember, to be honest. I'll, uh, I'll have to get back. He was to all over that. the place because he's from the New Jersey area. And I just didn't know all the oh, different no, stuff. He yeah, he was a Temple. Yeah, he was a Temple from 2012 to 2016 and Baylor. And then Temple again. Okay. Okay. Then it was Rutgers immediately before Georgia. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we'll see. I'm very, very curious to see what you're... I think Fran Brown's going to do a great... That was a bold move from Syracuse uh, to go that route. But they need a bold. And I, I think he's going to... He's going to do a good job there and we'll see what Kyle McCord looks like and uh, this new look offense. But um, no, I, I'm very, very curious to see what Syracuse because the defense is not like a big overhaul. The defense was solid the last couple of years. They did not have a defensive problem yeah. at Syracuse. So Fran Brown's not the cupboard is not bare for what Fran's walking we, into. As much as we like, you know, criticize Kyle McCord. We criticize them because of what Ohio State's expectations are, and yeah. what, specifically at the quarterback position, but just what their season expectations are. And at Syracuse, it's a lot different. Like he's he's the worst quarterback Ohio State's had in a decade. He might be the best quarterback Syracuse has had, and I don't know who I, I don't know who the last good quarterback Syracuse has had was. Uh, what? Uh, Tommy DeVito? Am I forget? Yeah. Exactly. Sure. Like he's he's uh he's making some noise in the NFL, but he wasn't anything special in college by any means. Not make that. There's been some good Syracuse quarterbacks. Who is the? I know Syracuse Greg Paulus. Uh, Greg Paulus was uh, fun, man. At a year, or so I, I don't Gary know. Trader I, I, was solid for a little. Bit. Oh, Ryan Nazib. That's who I was thinking of. I was like, who is the one who was also a giant forever? Um, Ryan Nazib. He was pretty solid. I see that. I don't even. I don't even. Fourth know round pick. Name. Ryan Nazib? That doesn't ring a bell to me. Ryan Nazib doesn't ring a bell. He calls himself college football expert. I'm just saying, expert. like, Syracuse has been, they've been down. They have been down. But look, I think Fran's an exciting hire if you're a Syracuse fan, and I think uh, the the optimism should be high there, and we'll see what the ACC looks like in the travel uh, for these three schools in SMU uh california and stanford looks like because woof stanford who i think is gonna be bad anyway and they're gonna be flying a lot um, oh yeah that. that was the best part seeing the, the season finale smu and cal your classic <laughs> acc matchup oh man what a sport um gotta love matt seeing, green uh, i think syracuse plays yukon at a conference gotta love seeing that you know just keep that yukon syracuse that old big east uh rivalry alive uh, final thing here before we get into uh, uh, our theme here tonight, Matt Green. Uh, why or why not series? Um, so we're going to see some of the big dogs here um, in terms of whether or not they should be the favorite um, going into next year and why or why not they could win the title based on how this offseason has gone. Because the, the portal is basically done. I mean, we'll see with Michigan if they hire uh, promote from within with Sharon Moore. I don't think it's going to be as big of a... Um, just departure is what we saw at Bama and other places. Uh, this obviously, I think they'll be pretty, pretty well in, in tow would be my guess. Um, moving on from Harbaugh in this regard, but, um, we have a good idea of where programs are sitting and most things are done and, uh, injuries aside that can change things. But obviously number one, we have to start with the Georgia Bulldogs. So Matt green, why or why not Georgia, who is the betting favorite to win the national title in 2025, um why or why not should they be the favorite based on what they added the, in the portal you want to uh, know new why or why not where, where both. Do I, I want to see both why you would say mm, i don't know if they should be the favorite and why you're like yeah it makes sense 
I would say the why not I would start with um, probably losing all the playmakers they did offensively. Um, I mean, Brock Bowers, arguably the best player on the team. Like me and my brother have gone back and forth with this, like ranking Lad McConkie as an all-time Georgia wide receiver. Like <laughs> I know he's not better than George Pickens as a, as a player, you know, as an athlete. But his career was was much better than George Pickens in just terms of production, everything. Like he's not as good as AJ Green. He's his stats aren't as good as a Terrence Edwards or somebody. But like after that, like Lad McConkey might be like the second or third, fourth best receiver that's ever played at Georgia. Like, no joke. Like at Lad McConkey was a playmaker, a deep threat, a guy who made plays after the catch. And so to lose Bowers and maybe the best playmaker Georgia's ever had. And Lad McConkey in the same season, I think, is pretty huge. And Marcus Roseme, Jack Saint, a guy who's just super reliable. So, I mean, that's three big receivers. And you're obviously the backfield was not great last year, and you're losing both of your top two running backs. So, you know, it being University of Georgia, I think you're going to trust that, you know, you've seen how they've recruited the running back position, and there should be enough good bodies in there. And obviously, Trevor Etienne is going to make a huge difference uh, right away. Um, and they've hit the portal with with a bunch of receivers. So, like, they should have enough playmakers. And I think Carson Beck is the best quarterback in college football, potentially, coming back this next year. So that's that continuity is is probably more important than all the playmakers. But I think that's a reason to think this offense might not be as dangerous next year. I think, so there's a couple things that's interesting. Obviously, it's going to be unproven tight end room with Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington now being out of there, the star power there doesn't mean it won't be a, like Oscar Delp, highly touted lucky Lawson, a lot of buzz there. Uh, Sperlin, I think it's the biggest La one of Lawson the group. Lucky. What did I say? You said lucky Lawson. La yeah. La <laughs> no, it, it's just, they love the alliteration tight ends at yeah. the university of Georgia, but um, by all accounts, you just, you're loaded. Jaden Riddell who Tennessee uh, fought really hard to get. Um, he's a highly touted kid. I think he's going to be a good player for Georgia, but what, strikes me as the most interesting offensively you're only relying on transfers the wide receiver spot now this whole wide receiver yeah. room is now built entirely through transfers because if you look at it right now um the starters rah rah at the x and if he doesn't start guess what colby young he came in from uh miami maybe he beats rah rah out for it but probably not you look at the z london humphreys you bring him in from bandy uh success there like he should be a good player, but he's another transfer. Dominic Lovett, transfer from Mizzou. So I'm very curious about that. Does Trevor Etienne start transfer running back? Um, Georgia's quietly hit the portal hard to fill key starter spots in this offense. And they've recruited well. It's just interesting that a team that's recruited better than anybody else um, over the last three to five years is going to be very portal heavy at their skill position talent guys like tight end obviously they're homegrown True. they just have a factory there but running back and um wide receiver wide receiver more than anything else being all very transfer heavy is interesting i think that's definitely true and obviously with Ra Ra thomas and and dominic lovett those are guys that came back but those are mm. ultimately portal guys over the last three years they have more portal wide receivers than they've have signed out of high school so i think the top two receivers next year you know, probably Dominic Lovett and Dylan Bell, I think you can, can be can confidently say. 
Um, but Dylan Bell felt like the best third option in the entire SEC, like the best number mm. three wide receiver in the entire SEC. But if you're relying on Dylan Bell to be like that number one guy, like I don't know, I don't know that he's that. In that Florida State game, he was making some ridiculous catches, and in the the Alabama game too. But he he really has really come on as a player, and you saw what he did as as a running back. Like he's just a versatile athlete that I think Georgia will find ways to to make plays. But yeah, I think that's one thing. Like losing Brock Bowers and McConkey, it's 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 understandable if this if this these playmakers take a step back. Um, and also Cedric Van Pran, who's you know maybe the best center in college football, uh, a lot of senior leadership uh, coming from a guy like that. But on the defensive side, you lose you know Lassiter and Javon Bullard and Tyke Smith in the secondary. So if we're talking why not on the defensive side of the ball, I think this this secondary definitely got worse from from a year ago. But there's one thing I'm not going to do. It's worry about the Georgia defense. Like yeah. that's just not that's not going to be a reason that Georgia never wins another title. Like that's just the furthest thing from my mind. Yeah, I think so. And and so I think the why with Georgia is like Kirby Smart coach with a Kirby Smart coach secondary. You brought in T Rob. Like you brought in um, was Dante Williams? Is that his name? Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, yeah, or USD. Dante Jackson or Dante Williams? Is it Dante uh, Williams? Um. I, Jackson was the the transfer the corner. That okay, yeah, it's Dante Denver. Williams. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's like you you got a bunch of good coaches in there, a bunch of good recruiters, and so I, I just I tend to like you said I tend to trust that Georgia's going to be you know that Georgia has a certain floor of how good their defense is going to be, um, and maybe it takes a step forward from from last year. Um, I kind of expect it to with a lot that they have coming back in the front seven. Um, but then I think the number one reason why Georgia, you should be picking Georgia to win the national championship is, like I said, with Carson Beck, I, I don't know that there's a better quarterback in college football than Carson Beck going into next year. Like, I haven't seen the Heisman odds. Like, I maybe just don't trust Georgia players to, like, put up the Heisman-type numbers, you know? They just never really do it. Stetson Bennett was, like, the first Heisman finalist in, what, like, 30 years or something? Well, it's him and... Uh... Ewers is the and Ewers, right? Yeah, that's who I was thinking. After after that, off the top of my head, I don't know. Is there a drop off nationally with 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 quarterbacks? It's not a big like, drop off to Dylan Gabriel. The drop off starts yeah. after. So like, we're losing a lot of guys. Penix, Bo Nix. But you're gonna have McCarthy, some big years because Will Howard's right there. To begin with, Will and Jalen and Dylan are all right there. A uh, thousand, twelve hundred. But then right there behind them. Nico Iamaliava right there in the top six. Wait, so say that again. It goes Quinn and Carson are tied. Okay. Um, Dylan Gabriel, slight bet it is at plus 1,000. So there's a big drop there, 300 uh, drop. And then Milrow and Howard are tied with the fourth and fifth best. And um, Iamaliava is right there by himself at plus 15. Yeah, that's a lot of unproven guys, like right there. Like yeah. it feels like Georgia and Texas feel like uh, not to spoil our little um our segment here, but but yeah, uh for the future, but yeah, I think Georgia is is definitely well positioned to be, you know, one of the best teams in college football again. The the schedule is tough. That's that's probably one of the bigger reasons why not. You know, I think that that trip to Tuscaloosa, I think with all of the the you know transition they've had and and I, I would imagine that that game got a lot easier for them from what Georgia fans were thinking about a month ago um but you know they still got to go to Austin Texas they still 
uh, have to play Florida in the cocktail party. They'll still have to play Tennessee. And so it's, it's going to be a, a, in Clemson uh, in the season opener. So the schedule is not nearly as easy as it was a year ago. It's also weird me just being like when I look at the Tennessee schedule and like I'm excited about Bama coming here. I'm not worried. Tennessee's gonna be favored with Bama coming to town. It's gonna be sick. I'm ready for yeah. that? I it's it's crazy. I like I feel I feel for Kalen DeBoer because it's he's gonna be fine. Like I'm not worried about Kalen DeBoer. It's gonna be tough DeBoer. to follow Saban, but man, with all losing all the guys they've lost, like I, they they've got to take a, a step back next year. I just I wonder how big it is because he is he is a damn good coach. Absolutely. Um, Matt Green, our big top programs uh, themed edition here, top 20 programs. We each did our own top 20 that we can uh, go over here. Some key differences I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, and we're just doing this for just football, the health of the program, this, that, and the other. Um, but how we see the best programs, which your list really surprised me, especially in the top end. Um, but do you want to hit the CFB TV viewership and how that might inform what uh, you did here? Yeah, so um, I, Nick Saban leaving Alabama and and kind of their coaching search and everything, that's really what got me on this topic is just kind of regardless of – like take the head coach of every program out essentially and just like the the bones of each program, you know, the the fan support, the resources, the, the – the the total package the history everything their ability to to recruit top players like who what's just the best job in the country because it, it started from a debate me and my brother were having about Oregon and Alabama like he basically telling me he thought Oregon was a better job than Alabama and I see Oregon's appeal nationally but I can't I can't say that Oregon is better than Alabama no so no. I just I, I can't go with you on that. But Dan Lanning, he's got a good thing going and he's staying in, in Oregon. And so we'll we'll see. I, did he did he legitimately turn down the job? You know, we'll never know. But um you may start by top five. Let's do um were you gonna hit the the what you saw with the Oh yeah, yeah. You? So yeah, I saw this stat and this would this was uh was perfect because it was almost my exact top twenty. So mm. 50% of all college football viewing from this past year included games with only 18 schools. So 13% of all the teams in college football were these 18 top 18 schools. And 10% of the viewing in college football was from the bottom 71 schools. So essentially five times as many people are watching the top 18 schools than are watching the bottom 71 schools. And I think that's something we know in college football. It's like a dirty secret that's just like, yeah, they're all playing the same sport. Wink, nudge. Like we know that that you know, Coastal Carolina is not playing the same sport that Ohio State is playing. Like they're not competing for the same thing. So it'd be nice if if we just you know the G five has their own thing and the Power Five has their own thing, and and that's and that's what it is. But so. I uh, so I of these top 18 schools, the only two that were in my top that were originally in my top 18 that did not make this list, or I, I, I said that wrong. So, of the top, we have our top 20 schools here, right? Hmm. The only two schools that were not part of this top 18 in 2023 were Texas AM and Miami, hmm. and 
you know, maybe that's part of just those school, those teams weren't that good in 2023. We both, we know they have, they have great fan, but they have, you know, big brands and everything like that. So I thought that was interesting. Um, but let me hit you with my top five and, and you can hit me with your top five. And number one, I got Texas. Number two, Ohio State. Number three, LSU. Number four, Georgia. And number five, Alabama. Hit me with your top five. So I have Georgia number one. And I think you could do like a distant number one by itself. Like it's in its own category. Mm. Then I go Texas two. I go Ohio State three. I don't think you can really push around the top three here. Like, and it's so interesting. The Georgia fan in this program did not put Georgia in the top three. I don't think there's a real negotiation here in terms of the top three. You can maybe argue Texas and Ohio state and where they fit and who should be two and three. I would listen to that argument. And then I have LSU at four because LSU will always be somewhere in that top five. And then I have Bama still at five. So we share Bama right yeah. there. That I kind spot. of think there's a top four that kind of separate themselves a little bit. But you look at Georgia and it's like, how much of this is Georgia and how much of it's Kirby Smart? Like Mark Richt was was really good, but Georgia produces really good talent. I think that's the mm-hmm. biggest thing they have going for them in, in such a small state, you know, its highest per capita in terms of producing recruits. But just because they weren't like necessarily the biggest national brand prior to Kirby Smart getting there, that's the only reservation I have about Georgia. Like Ohio State, it doesn't matter who the coach is. Like Ohio State is Ohio State, and they're an NFL factory. You can go back however many decades, and Ohio State is just producing NFL players at the top with everybody. Like so, Ohio State. I, that's why I had to have them at two. I think the talent pool going down to the South hurts a lot of the programs in the Midwest and the North, except for Ohio state, they seem to be that one Northern team that can consistently get players from, from Florida and, and Georgia and those, those Southern States and Texas. But Texas is just, it's, it feels like, it feels like England when it comes to like international soccer, like it's just like they invented the game. You know, I, the Texas didn't invent the game, but they may as well have, right? Like it's, Football is just bigger in Texas. Texas has the most money. Like Texas is just, it's the biggest like national brand. The Longhorn, they, they're the only one that have their own network. The Longhorn Network, like that right there. I feel like Texas is just different. And, you know, they haven't gotten the coaching hires right necessarily, but it's just all of the, the bones you could possibly want of the history and the tra- tradition and the passion and the resources. and the high school football in the state of Texas and you you are the flagship university in that state that's just loaded with talent. I think Texas has to be number 1. I think Texas if they keep operating the way they are and have for the last 3 years for the next 5, then I would absolutely see them at number 1 at the pace that they're going at. Well, it's right hard. Now. You got to judge the program versus judging like the job, you know? So like who, how yeah. the current guy is doing in the job can can sway how you feel, but it's it can be Well, better. I think it's less I think Georgia's just less volatile because of the pipeline in Georgia. You don't have the in-state competition. Like one of the other things you have to worry about at Texas is you have in-state competition. Like you have real competition yeah. with Texas A&M in the spending department. Georgia doesn't have that. They have their own. They I are mean, going to get Georgia's got Tennessee and Clemson and Alabama and Auburn and Florida. Right. State, but you're like still going to get right the best there. of the best. Like Georgia still gets a, they still know ahead of time. Who's that? Like they, 
like the it helps having the best high school football in the nation and i think it's going to stay like the greater atlanta area is just they there's just so much movement and so many people have moved over there there's so many powerhouses that you can't because texas is the same way where there are so many premier high school football powerhouses that's the backbone of this when you look at the health of a college football program because you build in state you build with your recruits you to have the juggernaut that you want if you want to build a death star program you still need a great base in terms of high school pipeline and the best way to do that is lock down your borders and have a great and have it be worthwhile to lock down your borders because there are so many elite four and five star kids in the state of georgia that if kirby were to leave tomorrow i still think if todd monken took that job he came out from the nfl like they would be humming like i don't think there's a huge drop off there and that's not a, a shot at kirby was the next guy that got the job <laughs> i mean even if bobo like i'm sure there'd be a, a slip but I just think they're such a machine to me. And I think Michigan kind of looked like that. I mean, with Harbaugh being out for a little bit, you could just see some programs are just operating at a machine like level. The issue with Michigan is just you have to be really a good recruiter. You have to have a good staff. There's just not the in-state talent that it's harder to win at Michigan than it is at Texas and Georgia. So for me, I just think because Ohio State, who's in the top three for me, they have to go to Florida a lot. Their number one recruit is in Florida, Jeremiah Smith. Um, they have but to they go huh but they get them that's what I'm. but they get them but i'm saying it's like they and are having to Moses? leave the state they are having to leave the state because the state of ohio does not have enough so they have to be creative and have to win in all over the country texas and georgia can just have their base and they can just win in their area now they do go out obviously but i just think you have such an inherent advantage so when we're splitting hairs like this between ohio state georgia and texas i just think you give the edge to the ones with the the greater base of homegrown talent uh, in the state of texas and and georgia right now i think that's fair and ohio state is just such a national brand they're one of the few that doesn't get hurt by that greater atlanta area it'd be that much better and but they they recruit nationally and a lot of the a lot of the really good players come from south georgia too um mm -hmm. but you just look at LSU, the, the one we haven't talked about. Like You could convince me that Georgia is number one ahead of all of these, but LSU, the players that come out of Louisiana just seem different. Like Ella, Louisiana, just they seem to produce some elite prospects, and they also rarely seem to leave the state. Like When it comes to Georgia, like, like just being such a, a transient metro area, like so many people from Georgia are not, or in Georgia are not from Georgia. And so with Louisiana, it just seems like there's a different pride and a, you're a big time prospect coming out of Louisiana. You go to LSU like it's not a like obviously Alabama's coming and snagged a couple through the years. But also LSU, let's be honest. Les Miles and Ed Orgeron were like bonehead coaches. Like I'm not even sure either of those guys were good college football coaches. And they both won national championships at LSU because I don't think it's I don't think it's that difficult. I think you just. You just throw the ball out there and, and let the athletes play. Like, I think LSU is capable of getting – they're also – they recruit the state of Texas really well. I think I think LSU is in a just a very fertile uh, prospect area, and I just – there's something different about the energy. The stadium in Baton Rouge, like Death Valley at night, is just one of a kind. Like, you just can't replicate that anywhere else. Knoxville, you know, they, they do a good job too. but. LSU is mm -hmm. just, 
I think regardless of coach, because so many things you're saying, like the machine, like with Michigan was and with Georgia, like that's a Jim Harbaugh. That's Kirby Smart that built the mm. machine. Georgia on its own doesn't necessarily always operate the best. I think Mark Richt lost control of that program a lot of time, a lot of times, according to people. So I, I think that's what gives me the gives the nod uh, to LSU over Georgia to me. But obviously, I think that top four is a is a little bit above the rest. LSU is just the one that like they're like the best case scenario for Florida to me, where like. LSU is they have their little Florida spits where Florida has just been like they can't get out of their own way outside of their urban and Spurrier uh, years and great runs. But they really have just not been able to take advantage of just their inherent advantages. You know, LSU has fallen into that trap before, but it doesn't happen as often and they don't have as long of a dry spell in that kind of sputtering. So I think LSU is like where Florida could be, too. But LSU is in their own stratosphere in this regard where like they could be like a Georgia or an Ohio State or whatever, but they don't have that consistency and they'll never have that consistency just because of the nature of that job and everything else. So they'll like they're every three to four years, you know, LSU is going to be the best team in the country, but you also know that they'll, they won't be the best team in the country for six of seven years. So it's just kind of, yeah, like, like we were talking last, last show about how they would have, would have only made two, uh, yeah. 12 team playoffs of the last 10 years. Um, but that's why Brian Kelly, I'm so shocked at how terrible they were defensively a year ago, because Brian Kelly seems like the model of consistency to bring to LSU and, and it should just be a perfect marriage. Absolutely. Um, well, let's do uh six through 10 here, Matt Green. Hold on, before we do that, why do we both think Alabama is not as good as as the rest of those? Uh, in-state talent, um, I think following a legend right now. Um, also, look at what Bama was before. Like, Bama with Shula, with Price, with... I mean, Bama is not this, like, staple of consistent dominance. Like, you have... It's not like Florida, where you're having those brief runs, like a, it was only Bryant and Saban, but it's also not like <laughs> it's just saving kind of clouded what Alabama was. I think that's a great point. I got a stat for you, sir. Uh, would mm. you describe Auburn in a, in a similar way, you know, kind of, kind of crazy, you know, kind of up and down a little bit. Uh, do you know how many coaches Auburn has had since 2000? <sighs> that's not starting in 2000. Necessarily, Tuberville was hired. Kind of interim coaches though, right? We're just talking about head coaches. Yeah. Um, not interim coaches no five five that is the correct answer mm -hmm. do you know how many coaches alabama has now had since 2000 and Ooh. that's going to include kaylin DeBoer, who has not coached a game yet five or six the answer is six six so, yeah there you go and so mike price is the cheeky answer in there obviously never coached a game but he was that, hired. Is not, that is not exactly the uh, model of consistency. And I think Nick Saban, like you're saying, um, was a huge part of that. But there's also a reason Nick Saban jumped from the NFL to take over Alabama in the first place because their tradition and their, you know, they got the dollars and their just passion for football is, is kind of second to none. Absolutely. They are the pro team in, in Alabama. They're not going to be the number one program uh, again. Uh, with this group like I think they'll be solid they'll be they could be elite under DeBoer he just got a national title with less talent but 
the Saban runs over. So the Dino, like, I just think you have to look at them differently. And I think yeah. it's going to take a couple of years to get adjusted. But the Bama of old is gone. And that book is yeah. closed uh, forever. Um, Matt Green, six through ten here. Um, right. You go, go ahead. Six through ten, go ahead. Uh, I have Auburn, funny enough, because I think Auburn and Alabama are right there neck and neck uh, once again. Um, Auburn at six. I have Oregon at seven. Michigan at eight. Florida at nine. And Florida State at ten. Man, we got some uh, disagreements here, but I feel like I need to go ahead and say that I have Michigan. No, I'll, I'll get to it later. So I have six through 10. I got Oklahoma at six, Oregon at seven, Florida at eight, Florida State at nine, and Notre Dame at 10. Mm. And I think just like you had Florida and Florida State back to back, I, I think they're kind of the same. Like I think the, the ceiling for the programs is the same. Like the, the talent they can get in the state of Florida, they just, I'm not really sure. I think the fact that Florida's in the SEC right now and they're getting those SEC checks, that's what kind of gives them the nod over Florida State. I just, Florida State has potential to move up further here over the next couple of years. I would not be surprised if they move up here a little bit more. But Florida, it's like, man, you're still, that's why the underachieving and the seasons that they've had of late and just post-urban, pre-urban have just been fr- so frustrating because it shouldn't be this way. I mean, they have the number one quarterback again, DJ Lagway coming in um, in this cycle, see what he does. But Talent's never going to be an issue at Florida. It's just getting everybody on the same page, making the right hires and doing the little things to uh, take advantage of what's in front of you. And I think the big one that you have really high that I just don't see at all is Oklahoma. I don't think Oklahoma is a top six program in college football. Like I don't. Yeah, that's shocking to me seeing where you had Oklahoma. Um, I just think Oklahoma, like what makes Auburn and, and Oregon and these programs better than Oklahoma? Like you talk about a team that's, you know, competed for national championships, you know, not only are they like a blue blood program all time, but like the last, what, 20, 25 years, like this team is preseason top five most years and finishes top five, top 10 most years. Like, I feel like Oklahoma is, is right there. They're just, I mean, they were better than Texas. They've been better than Texas for like decades, honestly. It's just Texas's brand is stronger, but I, I just I think Oklahoma like does Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma for another college job is that like a black mark on Oklahoma? It's not great, um, but it's also just that like we'll see with Venables they're okay they're recruiting solid, but I mean it's still not a national recruiting hotbed. Um, I don't think they're going to be an NIL powerhouse. Um, I think they'll be good in NIL. They've been they've been solid, not a powerhouse. Little Turby uh, with Brent Venables in year one. Got a little bit on the uh, right side in year two, but Levy's gone. New co-OCs this year. We'll see how that works. Jackson Arnold didn't exactly flash uh, in the bowl game. As a true freshman, we'll see what he looks like. Gabriel had his ups and downs. He beat Texas in what was an awesome... You're talking, awesome... About, you're talking about teams here. Well, no, no, no. What I'm saying is like, I just look at this program, and when I think of premier college football programs right now in terms of like... I, I think we have different ways of looking at it where I'm like... Auburn, you're already seeing they're just stacking five stars on five stars like Auburn having Hugh Freeze and his staff that he put together. Auburn, people overthought it like Auburn's one of those where nope, it's a top seven, top eight job, no matter how you slice it, because you get the right guy in there with the right ties like Auburn 
we've seen them win national titles, but it's going to be once every six years. <laughs> LSU is like once every four. Auburn's going to do it once every six, seven. And you Auburn... How many times Oklahoma knocked on the door in between? But Oklahoma's never had a roster as good as Auburn's when Auburn's is at its finest. Like, I think I the mean, best version of forget, Auburn like, is still... The- the early 2000s, Oklahoma was legit elite. Like it wasn't was right like not in not playing defense thing. Like that but my was head coach is from the he, he won a national title at Oklahoma. But I'm just saying, Matt Green, right now, especially with what they're doing um, on the trail and where they're at, I think Auburn is a top six job in college football right now and a top six program. They are if they are recruiting at this level, what they just did year over year, and I just. The money that they have, the NIL factor, the in-state talent, Auburn's a top six I think program. Auburn having Alabama in state, that does something, I think, that take that that just puts it a level below some of these other ones. I think it's it is a big time college football job, of course. But having Alabama and then honestly Georgia now being as elite as they are, like that's maybe a, a recent more recent phenomenon. But having those two programs kind of just I don't know, hanging over you like that's like the most difficult thing that Auburn has going for him. We shall see. Um, let's do. He, hold on, but we both agreed on Oregon at seven. Mm. I had Notre Dame at ten. You you had Notre. You, you basically agreed with that one. Mm. Um, so yeah, we can keep it moving. Uh, eleven through fifteen. I had Notre Dame at eleven. Uh, USC at twelve. Tennessee at thirteen. Penn State. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Fourteen, Oklahoma at fifteen. Oklahoma all the way down there at fifteen. So I had Auburn eleven, Tennessee twelve, mm. Texas A and M thirteen, Michigan fourteen, and Penn State fifteen. I Auburn and Tennessee, I put right there together, just like I did with Florida and Florida State. Like, I think Auburn and Tennessee are almost identical. That it's just like they have, if I'm the head coach, I can have whatever job in, in the country I want. Like, I want to go to two fan bases like this that are going to show out regardless. Like, we've seen, like, these are, regardless of how good these teams are, like, these stadiums are always, like, tough to play in. And those atmospheres, I just kind of compare to each other. And Auburn and Tennessee have the ability to to win national titles. They've just, you know, they haven't hired the right coaches, whatever. They've gotten in their own way, whatever it may be. But they definitely, being in the SEC, you know, they're they're big money programs. Like, they should be knocking on a national championship door. 
Um, but AM, AM is right there with Oregon for me. Like I didn't rank them right next to each other, but like they're the ultimate wild cards on this list. Like, because Oregon is not work nowhere close to the history of those other programs that we're ranking them amongst. And like AM has nowhere close to the history and just the success of any of these other programs around them. But it just feels like AM, if the right guy gets in there and does things right they should be as good as anybody and, and being in that, like, uh, you know, being the number two team in the state, you know, that might take you down a little bit, but the fact that it's the biggest state in the country, basically, it's not that big of a deal. The te- state of Texas is giant and there's a lot of talent to go around. I, I just think A&M should, uh, they, they have the bones to be better than they are. They just, they got to show me year over year. Like you could, move up AM to me but let's just see they're they're just so volatile that i just can't put them in the top 10 i, I just can't yeah that um, was tough but i had, uh the oh go ahead you had michigan at eight and i had michigan at 14 how why why do you have michigan so much higher i think they're stable um i think michigan you just won the national title i think the coaching strong i think it's always gonna be an attractive job uh, at this point i think they've proven they are i mean over the last decade plus that the recruiting budget tie i think they play us a, a brand of football they have a strong identity brand of football that works um i think they're putting a lot of dudes in the nfl so the culture is strong there they have that to fall back on i think there's just this established north not like they will never have the same talent as georgia but they were mocked for kind of uh building a georgia of the north in a lot of ways but they really have like they was very physical defense first, low scoring offenses. We're going to run the ball down your throats. We don't have to have the elite five star. I mean, J.J. McCarthy was a five star, but like we can win with Cade McNamara. We can win with uh, J.J. McCarthy. Doesn't, quarterback player. Yeah, it doesn't matter. We're above the system. We are we're above the talent. We can just the ceiling, the floor, excuse me, is so high at Michigan right now that I just think that they have to be in that top 10, regardless of who the head coach is, because I just think you're gonna you are going to walk in ten to eleven wins at Michigan year over year. See, I think if you're walking in in 2024, you might be walking to that. But I think this is what Jim Harbaugh built. Like you saw what he built with Stanford. Like David Shaw looked like a good coach for for several years because because of, of Jim Harbaugh. No, no disrespect to David Shaw. But David but- Shaw might have he might be good at Michigan though with those resources and everything else because he was really good. I mean, I think David Shaw would be more than fine at Michigan. But I'm not sure David Shaw is a good coach. I think he kept Jim Harbaugh yeah, we sure going, coach. and then they started to go downhill. No, um, he's a good I'm coach. just saying, Jim. Yeah. I mean, no, he might be, but Jim Harbaugh was uh, was I think he built what Michigan currently is right now. Like they they went through a lot of years of you know being pretty mediocre and making the wrong hire, and in this most recent um, recruiting class, there was seven total players of total four stars and five stars from the state of Michigan uh, this past year. And I just don't think Michigan, I mean, obviously they can recruit like they they've, they've signed top 10 classes, but I don't think their brand recruits nationally like some of these others. And I think the, the lack of in-state recruits, I think hurts them more than it does. some. like, I think Oklahoma is able to recruit nationally and they have the state of Texas, like right there. Um, And that, their in-state recruiting uh lack of lack of in-state recruiting doesn't worry me as much as it does michigan like i i put a lot of their current what they are on just jim harbaugh being one of the best in the business i like it um final group here matt green 
I have Clemson at 16. We both have Clemson at 16. I have Old Miss at 17. You don't have Old Miss on yours. Um, AM at 18, Miami at 19, and North Carolina at 20. And I don't believe you have North Carolina on yours. I do not have Ole Miss or North Carolina on mine. I um so at my last five, I got Clemson at 16, USC at 17. Miami at 18, Washington at 19, and Wisconsin at 20. And Washington and Wisconsin were two that actually were in that top 18. So they were two that I was a little surprised about. And with Washington, you know, maybe that's just because they went undefeated, had a great season. But Wisconsin's coming off a seven and six season. So if they're one of those big 18 programs on a seven and six season that tells me Wisconsin's brand is strong. So I go, so USC and Miami are like probably are two of the most difficult programs for me to rank on this entire list. So you had Miami at 19. I have them at 18. You had USC at 12. I had them at 17. I just look at USC and like, you could argue, you could convince me it's a top five job. You know what I mean? But I wonder, it's been my theory for years now that pro football coming to Los Angeles changed how good of a job USC was. Because Mm. I think being the pro football team, quote unquote, in a giant city like Los Angeles made USC different in the Matt Liner, Pete Carroll years. Like, and I think I kind of feel the same way about Miami. Like, when they were the team, obviously the Dolphins have always been there. But when they were the team like in in Miami playing in the Orange Bowl, like they had a certain like, you know, they they like had the vibe of the city of Miami. But now playing in this new state, Hard Rock Stadium, like 45 minutes from the city or whatever, like that the stadium, those hold those both of those programs back. Like the fact that every game regardless of importance is not going to be packed out. Like, I think that's just something that USC and Miami don't have that almost every other program on this list has. And like, they're huge brands and we've seen them win national championships. We've seen them arguably be two of like the actual most recent dynasties we've seen in the sport uh, before Alabama. But it feels like it takes a dynasty for the fans to come out. It takes being the best in the country for those fans to come out. And if I'm a coach that can be anywhere, I'm going to take a lot of other jobs before those two. That's fair. I just, I think one of the more interesting ones is like, I didn't have North Carolina on originally. And I put them on because I'm like, they're just solid. They're so, like, you remember that meme you sent me of like the preseason top 25 of like uh, all the di- North Carolina on here for some reason, I think was the thing. Every year's top 25. Yeah. yeah it was like the second North Carolina is a team. top 20 program and it just never feels like you just throw them on there because you're just like, they have the talent. I mean, Drake may, he might get number one in the draft. You um, have top running backs go in the draft. You have top receivers. They put a lot of dudes in the NFL. They have a top 25 NIL program. Um, they always they always seem to have the talent and Mac Brown's got them very stable that I just I don't know I think they're just somewhere in that top 20 to me like I just feel like even if it's not Mac Brown whoever comes in it should be a enviable job the um and it's one that look there's always going to be some talent and natural pull there um that I just have them in and then I think 
you got to give Lane Kiffin credit because I think going back to back double digit win seasons and where they are NIL wise and just on the field production wise, Ole Miss, you have to retrain your brain on how you feel about them. And I just think they're for sure a top 20 program in the sport right now. Yeah, Ole Miss did not, and North Carolina didn't make my list. Those are tough ones to rank. I think the all of the benefits that come from the SEC, it's like at a, at a point they start to they start to hurt you. You know what I mean? And like Oklahoma and Texas coming to this conference where Ole Miss is trying to make a move up the up the rungs of the ladder, it's like it's hard to be a national championship contender. When it's like when it's a good year, if you finish top five in your conference, you know. So, I uh, Ole Miss is tough because I just don't know exactly where their ceiling is. Also, in terms of North Carolina, there's only ten states that it, just in this most recent recruiting class, only ten states that produced double digit four and five star players, and North Carolina was one of those states. It, it's it's sneaky, um, has uh, as Chase Thomas would say. Uh, has a, a solid recruiting base. Also, another one I didn't that didn't actually make my list was Maryland, mm. and they kind of sneaky have a nice recruiting base there too with Maryland and Virginia, uh, that DMV area. Um, but yeah, I think we both had Clemson at sixteen, right? So we pretty much agree there. Um, but I think Washington. I think uh, when we were we're going through the numbers of the of the hypothetical twelve team playoff last show, like Washington had like four or five top twelve finishes in the last decade. Like that's with multiple head coaches. Like I think Washington has kind of had a a sustained like level of success of just kind of like as soon as they get a good guy in, like oh he he can actually he can compete for championships. So you know. It's been a while since we said that about Washington before this year, obviously. But I think being where they are, kind of strategically located on the West Coast, like they're one of the big brands out there. They're now going to be getting the Big Ten checks, like being in some, you know, games versus Ohio State and Michigan. Like that, that's probably going to increase uh, kind of Washington's brand and everything too. So I think going to the Big Ten pro- will probably benefit them. But I think uh, Wisconsin is one that might not benefit from the uh, Big Ten expansion. They uh, they had a lot of years built on um, those Big Ten West victories and uh, getting to the Big Ten championship. But I think Wisconsin is just, they were, they were a tough one for me to finish out. You could probably convince me North Carolina over Wisconsin, but they just, there's something that they do at Wisconsin. Like they're not producing like the, the highly ranked players necessarily, but I mean, they always seem to have a star running back and a and a bunch of NFL offensive linemen. So Wisconsin is is another one of those that just seem to have a culture of just they're going to play defense and they're going to run the ball. I like it. Well, that's uh, that's all I've got, Matt Green. That's yeah, a fun exercise because everyone wants to say that they got a top ten job, you know. And it's like there's a lot of these that you would refer to as top ten job. You're like, yeah, Michigan, top ten job. Uh, Clemson, top ten job. But, but you actually make a list, and it's uh, it's hard to crack that top ten. Absolutely. Well, Matt Green, uh, we'll be back on Sunday night with some more college football content. But uh, that is all we've got for tonight. But thank you as always, my friend, and uh, I will talk to you in a couple days. Yes, sir.
Ardillo, and welcome back to another episode of Preds Power Hour here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ. It's been, I think, a month now since Brian Baston and Jeff Middleton were on this very program talking all things Preds and my weekly Preds insight. I've needed it. I've missed it. And thankfully, we're all back together. Uh, we survived snowpocalypse uh, over the last week here in Tennessee and everywhere else. But temps are getting a little better. It's raining. Who cares? The roads aren't frozen. I got to leave my house the last two days. That's pretty nice. Uh, but I'm in my house now because we're doing a pod. And with that, Brian Baston of OnTheForeCheck.com is here. Brian, good evening, sir. How are you? Good. I had a had a day of, of watching uh, a couple days of just watching Predators and Admirals hockey and watch the Admirals and Preds both try their best to lose a uh, lose a three goal lead or a two goal lead. Uh, but thanks to UC Saros and Askarov, of course, they uh, they finished it off. Thank God the Preds didn't have to go to a shootout. But uh, it was still entertaining game. It's been fun to just kind of sit back and, and watch them after we've gotten on the other half of, uh, of the Christmas break. My bad. It is on. Again? Yeah, go ahead. I had the Flames <laughs> game on. I had the Flames game on, so. Uh, well, but yeah, so it, it's been good. It's been also good being able to uh, watch the uh, Flames game uh, via Jeff. That's good. <laughs> but no, but it, it's, it's just been, it's been kind of nice. They've got this road trip, so, you know, I'm not schlepping down to, to Bridgestone. Um, I'm getting to watch these from the comfort of my own house or actually to be tell the truth from me running errands and stuff with the kids. But uh, it's been it's been good. The, the Preds are, I mean, what? I think they're still in a wild card, wild card spot, which, yeah, second wild card spot tied with L.A. who they just beat. So um, it's interesting. I think Do I get to say at this point, are we at the point of the year where I get to say the middle of the road 500 team prediction? It's looking pretty, pretty OK. Like, I hmm. think they're going to get there. Maybe, maybe over the next couple of episodes, if we were to do something like, I don't know, talk about some of our preseason predictions, we could discuss mm. that. Hmm. I think that's a wise idea, but only if things continue exactly as no, they exactly are for right. me and one uh, and only me on this on this very program. Um, also here, Jeff Middleton of Flames Nation, sometimes on the forecheck, sometimes uh, Pinstripe Alley, sometimes uh, <laughs> the hockey uh, news, sometimes uh, Miami Red Hawks uh, play-by-play, sometimes, you know, just about everywhere. If it's hockey-related, Jeff Middleton might pop up. Jeff, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. It's uh, it's good to be it's good to be back. I just got back from a, a ski trip in Utah, so I, I I avoided the snow here, sort of. I was stuck in my house for like six days because of the ice in my neighborhood and stuff, but. Mm. Uh, yeah, so went from one snowy area to another, but was able to do more in uh, in Utah in terms of the snow as well. So yeah, it's been it's been good, and it's good to be back. It's good to be back home, and it's good to be back with you guys too. I love it. Uh, well, we're going to talk about uh, some Pred stuff before. I mean, the All Star Weekend will be here before you know it. Um, so a little bit of break coming up, not too long from now. But um, the Preds, they were taping this late on a Thursday. They end up winning after a slow start, of course. Like when I'm like just lying there on the couch and I, and I'm just like, this is going to be a classic Preds game. They're not going to score. I'm just going to lie here, just staring at the screen, waiting for it. And then they have a three goal quarter in the third. So uh, the Preds come back. They have a nice win against the Minnesota Wild and their old friend 
John Hines. What did you see uh, tonight, Brian, in terms of uh, this Preds late come from behind win? Oh, you're muted again, Brian. Sorry, I saw <laughs> several good things. I think that you could be encouraged by. You know, obviously, you can take a result from one single game and kind of take it with a grain of salt as it as it you know uh, applies to an entire team like this. But um, I saw you know some things that are really important. Um, you know, we got some secondary scoring. Uh, yeah, two of the goals were from that top line, um, but we did get the uh, the th- the the third line got their goal in in the third. So that was that was really great. Um, and they bucked a trend. I mean, Nashville is actually this season one of the worst teams at, at you know, uh, scoring and creating offense in the third period. And I think most Preds fans could probably tell you that, too, without looking at any stats. Um, and, you know, coming into the period, uh, you know, down, uh, what were they? I believe they came into the period, they were down 1-0. Um, mm-hmm. And then within, you know, 30 seconds, 30, 40 seconds, they, um, they managed to pick it to 2-1. Uh, Yossi puts it at 3-1. And then, uh, well, I'll bring it back to the very end. But, you know, luckily, UC Saros played a fantastic game, which is good. He's still kind of cresting back upwards. It's still not been his strongest season. I think he's still pretty middle of the road when it comes to goaltenders by most metrics. But, I mean, I think, you know, my one of the biggest things I saw was looking at, if you look at the shot map from this game, and I kind of say, like, here's your main difference of between Andrew Brunette hockey and John Hines hockey because – Nashville's is just a huge glop right around the net. You know, Minnesota's is spread out throughout the entire thing. And, and you know, that's the, they, they just couldn't at five on five Nashville absolutely dominated them. looking at natural stat trick. I think they had um, 75% expected goal, uh, 63% um, shot attempts. I mean, I think they out had 11 uh, high danger chances to five for Minnesota. So at five, at five on five, they were great. All five, all three of their goals came there. Um, the Wild, on the other hand, nearly made it up because that's when they decided to get near the net was on the power play, and they got two goals out of that. So uh, it was good that that five on five worked so well that they didn't weren't you know it wasn't the uh, penalty kill letting them down. Um, and man, what a game for Alex Carrier! Um, we'll talk more about him later, but he he kind of was everywhere and did a lot of good stuff. I think you know he's he's I think right now from evolving uh, hockey, he's fourth on the team in, in goals above replacement. Um, you know, just below, uh, you know, Yosey, O'Reilly and Forsberg. So that's pretty good. And this is a guy that, you know, he's on this one year deal. He's going to be a unrestricted free agent. They just re-signed Cole Smith to two years. I would I'd probably get on top of signing Alex Carrier before free agency hits. I think that's going to be too big of a, a something, someone to let go because I know another team will probably want to take a flyer on him and spend three, do three and a half million. I think so. I think there's no okay. there's I don't think there's a future for Shannon for Barry. Um, you know, they haven't seen a lot out of Del Gaizo and stats even when they when they've been up. Um I, I think Carrier, you know, is is I guess maybe with the coaching staff at least is is kind of maybe a little bit higher up on the list than a guy like Dante Fabro, which I'm not sure if that's warranted, but uh, you know, we've seen Fabro get scratched uh, quite a few times. So yeah, but Carrier had a great game. He, you know. He got his revenge from that really crappy hit from the last time the Wild played the, the Predators uh, from Kaprasov on on him. So they got the he got revenge, got in the fight. Um, yeah, it was really good and had and had that goal to open up the scoring. So it was a lot to lot to do, and it's always good to to beat your former coach. So absolutely. Well, one guy you didn't named here who is the reason you didn't name him is because he's back in Milwaukee. He's back being a Milwaukee admiral. 
Parsonin sent back. Um, what, Jeff, do you make of Parsonin being back in uh, Milwaukee? Do you think this is a long-term move for him? Do we is this something that Preds fans um, should be worried about long-term with him? What What do you make of the the latest part uh, Parsonin development? No, I mean, I think I don't think you really need to be nervous about it. I mean, we've seen how much talent he possesses, and and it's funny because I've I mean, I've had this conversation with a couple people and, and especially my dad. I mean, we've, we go to these games and we're watching, you know, we're watching these, these guys play. And, you know, last year, especially you saw Parson put on a show and, and he was fantastic and, you know, kind of broke out. Um, always, you know, always give respect to our buddy Eric for, for being the Parson and guy from the get go. Um, and we saw, you know, we saw what Eric was, was really raving about um, when, you know, when he was told he said the Preds should draft him. But I think this year it's been kind of, you know, up and down. Um, not entirely sure if that's, you know, if that has to do with with kind of switching line mates all the time or, or where he's playing in the lineup or, or, you know, just the fact that he's, he might just be struggling and that's, you know, that's okay. Um, but he, I mean, he's still a young player. And I think that, you know, the most important part is that we've seen what he can do at the NHL level. And we've seen how good of a player he can be, when he has confidence and, and, you know, if you don't go between the legs and then shrug your shoulders for nothing, if you, if, you know, if you're not a talented player, I'd say, you know, one of the best goals that was scored all of last season. And I think, you know, that's kind of, he's a big power forward, you know, he can do a lot with the puck, but this year there's just been some, some games where his decision-making has just been off or, or he's, you know, he's not playing as physical as he should be, or, or, or you know, something along those lines. He's just, it's just not, it's just not the use of Parson that we know. So I think as far as, I, I don't think you have to really be worried about it. Um, I would say that this is the right move. I think it was, you know, probably about time, you know, you want him to get his confidence back um, and it's not abnormal for, for this to happen to a young player. And I don't think that, you know, he should, he should take it on the chin in terms of, you know, bouncing back and regaining that confidence. But I don't think it, it means anything in terms of how management or how the coaching staff feels about him as a player. It's just a, you know, we need to, we need to get you back to what we know you can be. And I think, you know, Andrew Brunette actually said something like that. You know, he said that he was failing Parson because of, you know, the, the kind of the, where he's playing in the lineup and all, and all that stuff. So, you know, do you think that's coach speak or do you think he really, that is something that he probably has noticed and that it actually is something that look, I know this is real. I have failed him in, in this opening year with, uh, with Nashville. I mean, I, I think it. I think it's you know genuine. I don't think you know you hear a lot of coaches say that about about players. You know, especially young guys. I think that I think that in today's NHL, it's it's easy for coaches to kind of you know be more hard on young players than it is for them to be hard on other players. And I mean, we've seen coaches around the league, you know, some former Preds coaches be you know a little bit more. Uh, uh, tough on, on young guys and for the, you know, for, for valid reasons when they explain it, but you know, when there's, when there's guys who aren't performing, it's, it's not often that you hear a coach say that they have, you know, not, not just not allowed him to succeed, but like failed him, like not, you know, not done a good enough job themselves to, and I, I think that's really impressive. I think that goes, you know, I think that shows the kind of coach that Andrew Burnett is the fact that he's willing to, you know, put a player's inconsistency and performance that we know can be really good uh, on himself and, and how, you know, he's coaching him. And so 
I think that's I think that's a really good sign, and I think that uh, you know Parson in going down to the HL is a little bit. It's it's unfortunate, obviously, because you want to see him in the lineup every night and and playing as well as you know he can be. But you know he needs his confidence back, and I think it's a good way to do it. As I say, I can give you three quick numbers and let you guys kind of think about what you what you think about this. So last season, Yusuf Parson played in forty five games, had six goals and twenty five points. This hmm. season, Parson has played in 44, so one less, has eight goals, so two more than he did last season, but only 12 points, so less than half of those points. Um, almost identical time on ice per game. Um, he's actually got a higher shooting percentage this season than last season. So, I mean, I think that, you know, he didn't spend a ton of time in Milwaukee, and I think that he's proven that he can play in the NHL and that he does eventually, he does belong there. Uh, but, you know, I think the most important number is, you know, He's one of three players on uh, uh, three players that is uh, waiver exempt, so they didn't have to risk anything sending him down. Um, so I think that there's I don't think it's much to worry about. I think that um, you know the Milwaukee's now won eight in a row. They still haven't lost a game in 2024. It, you know, putting him in there, he was he played a really big role in in last night's win over uh, Belleville, um, the Senators affiliate. So I think it's yeah, I'm not worried. I mean, if there's anything I would say about this season is that like I don't. I put less stock in what the lineup looks like this season, I think, than in, in mm. a while. Because, you know, who's getting scratched or who's not. It, it Brunette is inheriting this system. You know, they burned a lot of it down and got new guys. And he's got to figure out what he's got because he's not just evaluating for this season. You know, you can be realistic and think that, yeah, of course you're trying to win and try to make it to the Stanley Cup Finals. But, you know, you're also evaluating, uh, you know, these guys that you're going to have to, you know, are you going to build this team around? I think what uh, out of the 13 forwards, six of them that are on the roster right now are free agents. Uh, three of the, of the seven uh, roster defensemen, free agents, Kevin Lankin free agent. And then down in Milwaukee, there's another 12 free, uh, free agents at the end of this season. And so there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of stuff. So that's why we see a lot of that shifting of like Colton Sissons and Yakov Trenin. Uh, seeing Philip Tomasino out of the lineups, uh, those types of things. I just really wouldn't worry about it because, mm. you know, unless it's something that we've seen obvious, like, you know, them after the whole Barry incident and just he's barely played and uh, Luke Shen not playing very, very as much as he, you know, we thought he might. It's, you know, you've got to figure out because this is, you know, this is a big evaluation for Brunette because he's got to kind of build the, the next three years around this group he's got and who he's going to keep because they're going to have to do a lot of work in this offseason. So if you're a Parson fan, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry at all. I like it. Um, well, we're going to do uh, some reviewing of our predictions going back to uh, to what we did before the year, because I mean, hey, we're at a point now. What are we? Fifty just about 50 games into the season. Uh, I think 48, 48. Yeah. So, I mean, we're getting we're right. We're right there. The season is flying by. Um, and we'll do this, uh, over the next two pods. I think we can break this up and obviously add some other stuff and who knows what, uh, other Preds news and notes might drop over the next week. But, um, the first thing, Brian Baston, the best off season move, uh, how do you want to revisit this and what, uh, you and Jeff thought, uh, a few months <laughs> ago? Yeah, I, I was watching this episode where all, all these, a lot of these predictions come from, um, and I, I saw myself being like, I don't want to take the easy answer because, you know, obviously, but I said that getting Glass and Carrier signed that last season and getting that business done quickly, you know, both mm. were eligible to go to arbitration and didn't. Both of them got, um, you know, got signed. Glass got two years. Carrier got one year. 
um, you know, both for, I think, two and a half million dollars. And yeah, I guess. I mean, <laughs> let's be frank. Cody Glass has not been good this season. It has been very, very rough for Cody Glass. I think he is the second, you know, looking at goals above replacement. I think he's the second worst player uh, on the team. It's been he's been struggling he's been the worst. Um, it's it's been either glass or um <laughs> another player that we'll talk about here very shortly okay. a defenseman uh jeff middleton's favorite defenseman i never uh, say jeff middleton i'm like it's not his fault he's not playing he goes <laughs> games and he's covering but he's not like on the ice it's not jeff's fault <laughs> it, it could be yeah but i will say it, it got me during watching the wild game because they've got uh what jake middleton and mm-hmm. it kept throwing me off on the radio. I was just like, yeah. oh, look at look at the little man. Look at him go. <laughs> no. So I mean, like, but I mean, like, I think Carrier, I would have looking at the the trajectory, like losing the, you know, signing him for one year and then, you know, him not being a restricted free agent anymore. We talked about this earlier. That might come back to bite them. I think the Cody Glass thing, I still think they shouldn't give up on him after this year, but uh, you know, obviously that wasn't the best offseason move for the National Predators by far. Jeff had that one though. Ooh. Jeff. And, uh, he, yeah, Jeff, he said that uh, he said it was going to be Ryan O'Reilly, which was he made a very good point in this that he, you know, he talked about it more from the leadership standpoint, the experience standpoint, bringing in a, to, to mentor a guy like Cody Glass specifically, actually, is who you talked about. Um, you know, I think I will give you this. You did say I really don't like uh, sign, giving him four years for a 32 year old uh, Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah, um, I'll, eat so, the, I'll eat that one. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you still got the O'Reilly part, so I'll, you yeah. know that's not too bad. I can't say I expected him to be this good. But... I don't think anybody did. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna <laughs> so, say I don't think I'm the only one in that boat either. So yeah, so I mean, I'll, I'll give us pretty good. I mean, that we weren't off. I wouldn't say uh, you were more on it than I was, but yeah, that was. I mean, Ryan O'Reilly. I would also say really high on that list is is Gustav Nyquist. Yeah, I mean, none of us, none of us so far mm-hmm. from the episodes I've been re-listening to, none of us expected anything even close to, to, to what Nyquist has done. So, yeah. I like it. Um, is there I w- uh, one final thing, though? Like, is still with the Ryan O'Reilly part of it, is there any, like, there could be a drop-off coming? Like, is there any concern that there is any kind of just this is the first 50 games, but, hey, still TBD. Is there anything we could do for Jeff on that regard that there might be some TBD remorse? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what his like shooting numbers are, but I think like, I think the good thing about Ryan O'Reilly and why the likelihood of me being wrong about that specific part is higher is because he just does like so many things. Well, Mm -hmm. like if he's not scoring points, he's playing strong defense. And when he's not like, you know, if he's if he's not scoring points, he's playing strong defense and winning every single wall battle he goes into. I swear to God, I don't think I've seen him lose the puck on a wall battle. He just like I don't know what he does during practice or, or what he did to practice that when he was younger or whenever. Like he is unbelievable in small areas and like that like that's just what he contributes. Not only does he contribute, you know, off ice leadership stuff, but you know, his defense and puck possession ability alone are enough to keep him from falling off, you know, off the face of the planet, like other centers that we've seen across the NHL be signed to deals like this before. Um, yeah, I think he's just so good. Like he's, he's, his play style is different than a guy 
who, you know, would like if you, if, you know, like a, a more offensive guy uh, is then he's just, he's just a different player. And I think that that helps him in the long run. Like he's, he's not, you know, burning out by the age of, you know, 34, 35, because he's just getting old and can't score anymore. He doesn't have that kind of ability. He still has, you can still be really good at those other things at that age. I like it. Uh, worst off season move for Nashville. We like, there's certain things about this show um, over the last <laughs> couple of years that we just know it's going to find its way in no matter what, even long after he's out of the league, like Brian is still just going to be, he's going to have all gray hair, gray beard. And he's going to be like, I just, I would have liked to have seen what Evan Rodriguez would have looked like in a Preds uniform. The year is 2047. And mm-hmm. Brian is still wondering uh, with his cup of chamomile tea, asking this question out loud, Brian, yeah. am I right? Does it have to do with Evan Rodriguez? It, oh, it, of course it does. And they should have done it. <laughs> They should have done it. Like he, obviously, his the the season hasn't like he he got off to an incredible start. Um, the first twenty games or so, again, took him took him my fantasy draft, and I mm. you know I was enjoying that. Um, but I mean, like he he's he would be I think fourth on the team uh, in goals above replacement. I think he would be fifth on the team in goals. Uh, with he's got seven goals right now, which that tells you a lot that that would be tied for fourth on the team right now. Uh, Twenty seven points. Um, he's averaging about a little over half a point per game. So, but I mean, he's getting all of his point, 21 of his 27 points are all at even strength. He's been fantastic uh, defensively and offensively, things like talked about in that episode. And again, what was it? Two million, three or three, two, uh, I think three and a half, maybe, or two and a half billion. Anyways, it was something that would have been fairly manageable. And we did touch on the point that maybe he didn't want to come to Nashville, which I wouldn't have blamed him, but you know, can you imagine him? You know, the whole the whole secondary scoring uh, issue that Nashville has, like you can alleviate that because nobody else has stepped up besides, you know, the top three. So, you know, I, I think it would have been great. I know I, I can't sit there and blame the Preds because they may have taken a shot at him and it just didn't work out. But, you know, it would have been great. It would have timing would have been perfect. Also, there's Zegras talk again. So maybe I can jump back on that wagon, too. You never know. You never know, Brian Baston. Jeff, what was yours and why was it uh, Shen related? <laughs> uh, well, probably because Luke Shen has not been very good. Mm. Um, but I will say uh, it was also Luke Shen and Matthew Shane related um, because, frankly, Luke Shen is, is not having a fantastic year. Um, just, you know that's kind of how it was and kind of how it has been. Uh, and Matthew Shane is having a very good year. Uh, he's, you know, 46 games, 15 goals, 42 points. Uh, Dallas is, Dallas is treating him well. And, you know, as much as I really enjoy the prospect of paying Matthew Shane, uh, $11 million over the next two years to play against you. Um, (laughs) I do not, uh, but, I just, yeah, I think that that was, you know, I think I feel pretty confident in that one uh, as of now. Um, you know, Luke Shen just, like, like I get bored talking about it just because I've talked about it so much. I just, some of the plays he makes, I just, I just can't, like, it just, the turnovers and, and 
you know, he eats pucks and, and I respect that. I really do. Like, I think, I think he's a, he's a solid shot blocker when he needs to do it. Uh, you know, there've been a couple big defensive plays that he's made and, and I've tried my best to, to recognize him for that because I think, you know, with the, with the bad deserve with covering the bad deserves covering the good as well. Um, but I, I just, you know, it's a lot more bad than good right now. And, and, uh, I just, you know, it's hard for me to, you know, I don't think he deserves that, you know, that sixth defenseman spot, even with the physicality and stuff that he brings in, you know, who's a perfect example of a guy who can bring physicality and be an effective player is Jeremy Lazan. My God, that guy has mm. taken off this year. He's, he's a monster. Oh, Brian, you're muted. Oh, and you're muted again. I haven't gotten to the stretch of episodes where Jeff and I just really rip into Lazan. Like he caught strays when we were talking about yeah. completely other players. Um, Lazan has been one of the biggest things I've been I've been wrong about this season. Is yep, just sure. Same how here. good I think. Uh, let's see here. So he's right in the middle. He's above uh, replacement level. I think he's at a two point three, which is really good. But I mean, you know, you look at the bottom and look at the bottom of the the, the bottom four: Tyson Berry, Yusuf Parston, Luke Shen, Cody Glass. I mean, Brunette's I'm not saying that he's using this kind of stuff to make those decisions, but like the numbers back it up. And and so, you know, you're seeing you, you look at a guy like Luke Evangelista, who's having a fantastic year, Tommy Novak. These are guys in their contract years that are performing. And then you look at other guys like Yakov Trenin, uh, you know, the guys like uh, Tyson Berry, Kiefer Sherwood, uh, you know, they're a little bit more borderline cases. And, you know, it's hard enough to get the rest of the team to score. Uh, when it's not the Forsberg line. Uh, so they have limited opportunities. They've got to step up and do something if they want to stay with, with the team and if, you know, if they want to build this team around them. So, But Jeremy Lazan has been, you know, yes, the hits. You know, hit, we can talk about hits and whether or not that's a worthwhile statistic. But, like, he's doing what he's been advertised to do. He's, you know, they are like, no, 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 just give him time. That's why they gave him that big old contract. Um, still worth $4 million? I don't know, but... Again, I've been wrong, and so I refuse to doubt Jeremy Lasson anymore. So, yeah, and I think that's you know that's an example of a guy who can be physical and has been effective in his role. And I think that you know he's he's leading the NHL in hits right now. I think, I and so. and he's scoring goals. He's jumping into the offense like on the rush. And obviously, I don't expect Luke Shen to do that because he's just not as good of a skater. But like that's that's an example of a player that you signed to one of those deals and you know, wait for them or not even wait for them. Just expect them to do that. Like, you know, signing Jeremy Laws, I didn't like that deal at all, but now that he's doing this, you start to get more okay with it because he's not a detriment every time he's in the lineup or every time he's on the ice, you're not worried about him turning the puck over, you know, maybe in his first year with the Preds, you, I mean, I think I thought that probably at, at some point I was worried when Jeremy Lazan was on the ice but he's developed into a player that you can trust with the puck for the most part. And that's, that's not what you're seeing with Luke Shen is and Luke Shen is, you know, he's towards the back end of his career. Like he's just not, you, you have him there for veteran presence and, and physicality and blocking shots. But when you can't do anything else effectively, it's, it's really hard to justify keeping him in the lineup, but they're not, I mean, they're not going to take him out of the lineup, but the, that's just kind of where my problem lies is signing him to a, a was it three year deal? And it was four. I think it was a four by four. Was it four? Was was it? Oh, Jesus, was it four? Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> it was. 
either way, three or four years, that's still a long time to have a guy stapled to your lineup and have him not be very good. I just, and you know, you buy out Matthew Shane and, and what's worse for you? Four years of Luke Shen on your team or years of paying Matt Duchesne not to be on your team? Sorry, I said four. It, it was four years, two million. Okay. That's a little bit, a little bit better. For for Lazan or, or Shen? Lazan. Okay. What about Shen? Wasn't that three Shen by two point seven? It was three by two point seven. Okay. Yeah. Uh, not, what's, what was your question, Chase? Having having Luke Shen for three years or paying. Matt, Matt Duchesne for, to not be on your team and play against him for what? What will it, how many years are they paying Duchesne? Uh, They've got four, Duchesne on the books eight, for the six, next six, six years. Yes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> oh man, it's spread out a Probably. little bit. I mean, like the okay. next two years are, are really heavy. So okay. yeah, yeah, I would say, I mean, probably just Duchesne because of the length of it mm. and, and the amount. Oh, out for the next oh. two years in in the last year of his in the last year of his deal than like whatever. But uh, the the eleven million over the combined two years is going to be a, a rough rough little stretch there. Yeah, I could. That uh, would be my answer. I could see that. Um, well, I Can think get a quick stat in before we go. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Lazan does lead the league in hits. Um, what are your best guess, guesses um, of how big of a lead he has over second place? I I I saw this on the broadcast. I think two two or three nights ago. So I'm going to let Chase guess on this one. I don't know the exact number, but I know it. I have I no know the, I know the. I, I know no the. Jeremy, Jeremy yeah. Lazan has 191 hits this season. Where do you wow. think Dakota Joshua for, from uh, Vancouver sits at number two? I'm going to say 130. Very close. 141. So he's got a 50, okay. 50 hit lead, which is kind of so crazy. Many hits. Yeah, how, I mean, many, how many games has he played? Lazan? Uh, Lazan's played all, I think, 47 of 48, I believe. 40, no, he's said, played all 48. What's his post one, game like? You said 191. Is he, right? bath? Is he like immediate massage? Like, what are you doing when you're leading the league in hits like that? What What's your your post game regimen like you have to be just like in pain all the time I imagine with this kind so. of commitment i imagine so yeah how I many mean, hits did you say he had 190 what 191 that's by. i mean he's not that's almost four hits a game <laughs> yeah it's it's 13 more per 60 i mean i mean 70 blocks uh you know it's i <laughs> It's been, it's been, you know, it's been kind of really funny because you talk about like, you know, Ryan O'Reilly is doing right now what we all got mad about when they brought in like Brian Boyle, Wayne Simmons being like, oh, this power forward is going to do this. No, I mean, like Ryan O'Reilly's tied for third and power play goals. He's probably going to have the best season of his career, which is crazy. Um, you know, things like that. And, and, you know, these guys are just stepping up and, and O'Reilly, uh, Lazan, Nyquist, you know, we can talk about the guys who haven't worked out, but there have been some, I mean, if you're looking at the, the Barry Trotz offseason, you've got to be pretty happy with it. Helps to play with Philip Forsberg. Always does. He's pretty good. Yep. Philip Forsberg is pretty good. Um, We'll leave it there, gentlemen. Uh, Brian, what can the good folks check out from you over at onthefortech.com this week? Uh, Preds got two more games on this Canadian road trip, which is kind of an insane schedule because they're in, uh, you know, they're going to, I believe they're going to Edmonton next from Minnesota at which 15 is, game win streak Edmonton Oilers. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think Nashville was like 
one of four teams to have like the best record since Edmonton fired their coach, which was really funny to me at the time. <laughs> uh, but then they're at Edmonton. Uh, they're at Edmonton on Saturday. And then I think they've got at Ottawa, the other side of the country uh, on Monday. So we'll see how they come out of that. Ottawa, I think, you know, should be an easier game for them, but we're going to see. So I'm, I'm excited. And then next week um, I'm really excited. If you guys haven't seen, uh, they're doing like a black history month on the 31st and the jerseys they've designed for that. I, I might have to sell like blood or something to get the money to win one of those auctions uh, 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 auctions because it is absolutely gorgeous. Give it a go check it out if you ha- haven't cuz it's it's awesome. Better than the so, Hawks yeah. MLK? <laughs> the Hawks MLK are great. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. These ones are just these You didn't like the Atlanta beautiful. Hawks one even the court they're, and everything is gorgeous. They were fine. I just the, these ones mm. are gorgeous. There's something okay. different too with a with a with a hockey sweater like if they're you know, there's Have they been released more- yet? Uh, yes, yes, they have. I'm gonna look it up. Let's see. I'm gonna look this up. Get my reaction real time. Is it? Oh, okay. These look good. Yeah. Interesting. Which one are they wearing? Are we, are they wearing the the MP on the front or the other one? The um, let, with the skull. Uh, I believe it's the MP one. I think is going to okay. be the one. Maybe this one's old. The one with the skull on it, the the old like predator skull. Yeah, um, yeah. I I gotta make see because now I can't. Now it's showing them from like every other year, and so now I. Yeah, but they're gorgeous. Kind of looks like the Surge logo. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, that'll be cool. Make sure you guys come out to that. Um, Nashville is struggling um, at home. They're a better away team, which is crazy to me. Um, so you know, support them because the tire barn's been kind of quiet. You know. That obviously can't always fill it, especially in years like this. But it's been it's been pretty quiet, so maybe we need to get back out there and, and fix that because you've got an exciting product under Andrew Burnett, and uh, you know I think it's important that that the fans get back out there to give them this uh, that home home arena advantage. I love it, Jeff. What about you? All across the internet this week? Uh, well, just a lot of flame stuff. You know they're doing their best to make sure that they sit right in the middle of everything. Um, they lost tonight, lost the blue jackets, um, five to two. Woof. Yeah. Uh, last game on their six game homestand, which has been a complete nightmare, uh, is against Chicago who they have struggled against for some reason. Um, so yeah, just stuff on that, um, stuff on the upcoming all-star break for sure. Um, and yeah, going back to school next weekend. Actually, big college hockey weekend this weekend. Uh, marquee matchup: Boston College, Boston University, home and home. Uh-huh. Uh, both arenas are sold out, and like the cheapest ticket was like one hundred and seventy nine dollars. Um, okay. So big weekend, two powerhouse schools with a bunch of NHL prospects, and uh, you know, number one, number one overall hopeful Max Celebrini's plan. So uh, getting to that too. And next weekend, back at Miami for North Dakota, Miami. That'll be a fun one. So it's going to be good. I love it. Brian, Jeff, great to be back. Great to great to talk Nashville Predators hockey with the both of you. You guys have yourself a great rest of your week, and I'll talk to you all both very soon. See you next week. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. 
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching. Fashion trends. Pep talks where we give advice. Mental health moments. And games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 